Amen, amen. Take your Bibles, please, and open up with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, it is indeed the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ to which we turn our attention this morning. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, just take that pew Bible there in front of you and open up to page 1245, 1245 in the Pew Bible. As you're opening the text of God's Word, I want to tell you about an opportunity here at First Baptist Church in about two weeks that I am exceedingly excited about. I am very, very excited about the opportunity we have to have what we're sort of calling a Family Reunion Sunday, two weeks. 150 years ago this month, a group of, of African Americans who were members here at First Baptist Church after the Emancipation Proclamation, asked for the opportunity to go start their own church. And that church today is known as the Friendship Missionary Baptist Church, celebrating 150 years of gospel ministry this month. And they'll be celebrating with us here at First Baptist on November 18th. Uh, their pastor is a friend of Kent Bax and a friend of mine now through Kent. And uh, if, if Kent's good at nothing else, he's good at introducing friends, right? That's uh, one of Kent's spiritual gifts, no doubt. And so... Kent introduced me to Earl, and, and Earl and I have become friends, and Earl will be preaching here on the 18th, and, and all of our friends there at Friendship Missionary Baptist Church will be worshiping with us that Sunday, and we'll all be enjoying a Thanksgiving meal together after church that Sunday. I'm so excited to welcome our friends and our guests here. After 150 years, the family is getting back together, and I'm excited about it, looking forward to us all coming together here in a few weeks. So please make plans to be here on that on that wonderful Sunday. I love that Sunday anyway, and uh, I've got to warn Earl what it's like to preach. It's Joyce's delicious Thanksgiving meals being prepared downstairs. It is no easy task to try to hold the attention of the Lord's people during that time, so I'm going to have to warn him about it, but we will have a good Sunday in the Lord and with friends on November 18th. Well, if you have your Bibles open, just go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. It's 26 verses, and so don't feel bad if you can't handle this marathon, we will not judge you if you need to be seated. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. 
all of mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world but they are in the world and I'm coming to you holy father keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one while I was with them I kept them in your name which you have given me I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one they are not of the world just as I am not of the world sanctify them in the truth your word is truth and you sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and I love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even the world, though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds to receive your word today, Father, and we pray that we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to ask you a question this morning, church. Have you ever been encouraged by someone praying for you? Have you ever been encouraged by someone praying for you? As you think about that, I want to tell you about a time that I was encouraged uh, by someone praying for me, a group of people praying for me. Uh, several years back, I was in a difficult, I call a very difficult period of my ministry. It was a time when I was struggling uh, with God's call on my life, wondering if uh, the Lord really uh, had set me apart to do what I was doing. I was struggling some with some some depression, not clinical depression, but just feeling depressed it was a very difficult time in my ministry um and one morning in a deacon's meeting and some of you were there of course I just fell apart I broke down and started crying which when you're 28 years old and you're the pastor of the church the last thing in the world you want to do is break down crying at a deacon's meeting that is not on your bucket list uh, when you're in seminary, you know, I think what I'm going to try to do is lead well and have a nervous breakdown at a deacon's meeting. I'm excited about that. That's not your goal. But those brothers, those deacons, those servants of God and of his church, 
my friends um, gathered around me, prayed for me, in so many ways here in this church have protected me from, from myself and at times from others, have loved me, encouraged me, and there uh, they gathered around me that morning and uh, prayed for me. They, they didn't say tighten up and hey, get over it, everybody's got a hard job. They didn't do anything else. They gathered around me, put their hands on me and prayed for me. When I left that, our fellowship hall right under here, it might have happened literally under this spot, uh, when, I, when I left that fellowship hall that morning, I felt like I could charge the gates of hell. Like my youth pastor used to say, I could have charged hell with a water pistol that morning because of the way that those men loved me and prayed for me. How encouraged I was by that. That great Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, once said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And so he is for you, sweet saint. Greater than any encouragement of prayer that we can know in this life. And that's not the only story I have of the way that God's people's prayers have sustained me. And kept me not only in the ministry but in fact in the faith. Not only do I have so many stories of that, but brothers and sisters, you probably do too. Greater to know, greater to know for each and every one of us here this morning, how much more encouraging it is to know that our Lord Jesus Christ himself has prayed and is praying for you. What is the Lord's prayer for you? Here in his farewell discourse, Nathan set this text up beautifully. Thank you, Nathan. He's, Jesus is preparing to go away, and we, so we call this the farewell discourse. And here in the midst of this discourse, the Lord prays. And John records this prayer known as the high priestly prayer, the farewell prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so for us as Christians, that very idea... Whenever we think about the Lord's Prayer, we think about the model prayer, don't we? The, the prayer that the Lord modeled for us, which is a very important prayer. But this, if we were to really aptly title this, this is what we could know as the Lord's Prayer. But even more poignantly, I would argue it's the Lord's Prayer for you. What did Jesus pray for you? What is Jesus praying for you now? Even now, at this very moment, our Lord Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father pleading our case as sinners before God based not on our actions and our works and who we are, but based on his own precious blood, which he carried into the true holy of holies once for all to make satisfaction before God for our sins. But even now, Jesus prays, but before he died, before he went to be with the Father, before he was glorified, as he says himself here in this prayer, what did he pray for his people? What did he pray for his disciples? What did he pray for his church? I want to show you three things that the Lord has prayed for you. Three things that the Lord has prayed for you. Here's the first thing. Jesus wants you to see his glory. Jesus has prayed. Jesus wants you to know and to see his glory. First and foremost, he wants you to see the glory of his cross. The glory of his cross. Verse 1, 
when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. As we read the New Testament, especially as we read the Gospels, and even in particular as we read John, we see that over and over, the Lord speaks of the hour. The hour is coming. The hour has come. And invariably, when our Lord speaks of the hour, He is talking about the hour of His suffering, that the time has come for Him to suffer on the cross for our sins. And so what Jesus is saying here in verse 1 then, when He says to the Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, He is saying, God, would you help my people? Would you help the disciples? Would you help them? And He's praying for Himself here in this section as well. God, would you glorify me through my suffering. The hour has come. There is a glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that for many of us and for everyone in their natural state is foreign, strange. Now we fashion for ourselves here in this day and in this age, we fashion for ourselves beautiful crosses, don't we? Beautiful crosses. You go in churches, not rightfully so. I think we're in the process of putting a beautiful cross even now in our chapel. Many of you probably have beautiful crosses somewhere on you even now. Many people, the Christians I know, as a reminder of the Lord Jesus Christ, will fashion for themselves a cross of gold or a, a, a cross of silver and, and wear it around their neck or in some other way. But we, we think about the cross as a, as a sort of token, as a symbol that for us just means Jesus when we think about the cross. But you've got to understand in the first century when they would look at a cross, it was not a sign of something beautiful or glorious to those whom Jesus is leading and preaching to. It was a sign of the subjugation of the Roman Empire over and against their people. It's a sign of Roman dominance. It's a sign of a pagan, uh, pagan power and might. Think about what a cross would have been like to them. It was a rugged structure, certainly. We've got songs about that. We know that the cross is both old and rugged. We've confirmed that through our hymnody. And so we recognize also, though, that uh, Nathan... Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate that grin. Um, we, we recognize, though, that the, that the cross for a first-century person would have been a sign of the cruelty of the Roman Empire. You don't cross Rome or you'll be publicly executed in a really horrible and horrific way. And yet here Jesus is assigning to this crucifixion, to this subjugation that he's about to experience, to this public death, he's assigning it glory. Why? Because he did not have his life taken from him. He laid down his life willingly. The Bible tells us he's going to his cross intentionally. He is glorifying himself through the cross. And there's a glory in the cross precisely because there's a glory in our Lord's saving power. If you look in verses 2 through 4, you can see what I mean when Jesus says, Since you have given him authority, that's himself, over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, 
having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus is showing the fact that there's glory in his cross because of the glory of his saving work. He's able to save us to the utmost precisely because he is the perfect, spotless, sinless lamb of God. Precisely because he is the glorified son of God. And so Jesus is... Lord of all things, all flesh, all things belong to him, the scriptures teach. And so Jesus wants his people, he wants all of us here to see his glory. The Apostle Paul has an extended discourse on the, the fact that the Jewish people are unable to see the glory of God. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this. And he talks about how from the time of Moses until now there's been a veil so that they are unable to see the glory of God. And Jesus makes this very same argument throughout the discourses in the Gospel of John that if they knew the glory of the Father, they would see the glory of the Son. If they knew the Father, they would know the Son, but they don't. And so it is imperative, it is necessary for us as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to behold, to ascertain, and to live out the glory of Jesus Christ. I hope you see this. I hope you know this. Jesus wants you to see His glory. Oh, I love the hymn. I love the hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim. In the light of his glory and his grace. Brothers and sisters, I fear that the church has become worldly because we've lost a vision of the glory of Christ. I fear that the church has become ineffective in her mission because we've lost a vision of the glory of Christ. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wanted you to see his glory. But second of all, Jesus wants you to know his word. Now I'll go ahead and let you know something here. You're not going to know Jesus' glory if you don't know his word. You're not going to see Jesus' glory if you don't see His Word. From Genesis to Revelation, we must be people who see and know the Word of Christ. Jesus here is directly associating that which He taught with the Scriptures. And I believe that He's preparing His disciples and preparing His church for the coming of the New Testament. I think that's a lot of what John is setting up here in the farewell discourse, is demonstrating and showing the way that the Spirit would empower the disciples to write down that which they had seen and heard by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give a record for us of, of the teaching of Christ and what He wanted His church to know. And so I'm not a red-lettered Christian, save that I think the whole 
Bible ought to be printed in red letters. For the whole Bible, I would argue, is the Word of Christ, the very Logos of God through whom the Word has been given to us from day one. The disciples, Jesus says, kept His Word. Verse 6, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. In this section here, verses 6 through 19, Jesus is sort of focusing in on his disciples. And you may say, well, you know, that's not really for me there. That's for the disciples. But if you see, Jesus will apply all those themes to the future church, to those who would come to know God through the words of the disciples. He would, he'll apply that in the last section in verses 20 through 26. So, so just know that even as he's talking about his disciples, he's talking about his disciples today as well. But here he's saying that the apostles, the disciples, they kept his word. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now let me ask you all this question. How long have you been going to church? Now some of you all might be new to the church, but not all of you are. Been going, think about it for just a moment. How long have you been going to church? Now, most of us, many of us, it's for our entire lives. In fact, I, sometimes I've, I receive letters from time to time. It's been a while, but oftentimes, I don't know what this is, or sometimes I'll get complaints, and oftentimes people preface their letters with how long they've been going to church. I don't know what that is. Do y'all? I've been going to church for this many years. Don't you know this? Don't you know that? I suppose it's an attempt to compound their shame. Because if you've been going to church that long, you ought to know better than to act ugly in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how long have you sat hearing the Word of God? How many Sundays have some of you sat in this room or in that other room? I know you've got precious memories. How many times have you heard the word? How many times have you heard this precious truth? The disciples walked day in and day out with the very logos, the very word of God himself in flesh. How much time have you spent hearing the word? And brothers and sisters, I ask you this question this morning. What's the ratio between that which you've heard and that which you've kept? I'm ashamed of mine. I'm ashamed of that great gap. The Apostle James says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. We must keep the word of God. But not only that, the disciples didn't only keep his word, but they believed his word. We see in verses 8, 9, and 10. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified. And then they believe the word of God. It's imperative, brothers and sisters, that we take God at his word. That we practice the word of God, and that we believe the word of God. Sometimes, my friends, we have to have faith that seeks understanding. But also at times, we have to have doing that seeks wanting to do the Word. We spend as much time in the Word of God as we can. Keeping His Word, believing His Word, but also remembering, brothers and sisters, as we try to keep our Word, His Word, and as we try to believe His Word, remember this, 
We are being kept by His Word. We are being kept by His Word. Verses 11 through 19 show so clearly we are being kept by His Word. Listen to what the Bible says, verse 12 especially. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. I have given them your word. Now, verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What is Jesus saying? Make these disciples like you, O God. Sanctify them. Fashion them after yourself. Make them into your image. And how does God do that? How does he sanctify his church? How does he make the disciples more like him? He does it by his word we are so focused on keeping the word of God and we ought to be but brothers and sisters don't forget for a moment don't ever forget for a moment that it is oftentimes the word that keeps you time in the word of God is one of the means by which he preserves and perseveres his church finally not only does Jesus want you to see his glory and want you to know his word but finally Jesus wants you Jesus wants his church Jesus wants his followers Jesus wants you sweet saints of God he wants you to have unity he wants you to have unity I love verse 20 I do not ask for these only okay he's 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 showing here he's talking about the disciples I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Oh boy, he's talking about us. Here we are, we're being talked about here, I love it. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. What brought us here? Was it not the Holy Bible? Was it not the scriptures? Was it not those sweet verses you heard? Maybe it was the Romans road. Maybe it was John 3.16. Maybe it was some other verse. What scripture brought you to this place? You heard the word of the Lord. And what I think Jesus is saying here is, I want my people who brought into this church to be united by my word, to have a biblical unity but not only does Jesus want his people to have a biblical unity centered around the scriptures centered around the word of God but he also wants his people to have a a trinitarian unity never forget for a moment that to be invited to follow Jesus is to be invited into the eternal life of the triune God you are participating in an activity that existed that is the fellowship of God himself far before you ever existed and long after this world fades away there will still be God God will always exist and the father the son and the holy spirit have a a perfect love between them and we are invited into the perfect love of that relationship listen to what jesus says he says i say this not only for these but also for those who will believe in me verse 20 and 21 that they may all be one just as you father are in me and i in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. In other words, brothers and sisters, when we are not walking in unity as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not just saying something about the salvation that God has given us. We are saying something about God himself. We are proclaiming to the world around us that God is not who he says he is in the Bible because Jesus says his followers will have a unity that is similar to the unity that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have. And I can assure you there's never been an argument in heaven. There's never been a fight in the Trinity. Biblical unity, Trinitarian unity, and evangelistic unity, verse 23. I and them and you and me, why? So that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. I met someone from another church one time, and all they could talk about was how terrible their church is. They just kept talking about the preacher's no good, the people are no good, I'm no good. The whole church is a problem, you know? Everything's a problem. They said, and on top of that, we ain't seen anybody saved and we're not seeing any growth in the church. Nobody's come to be a member of the church. And I said, I'll tell you exactly why. And he said, really? Okay. Sounds great. I said, this attitude is why. This attitude, your attitude is why. People are not coming to your church. If all the time you're out talking about how terrible the people at your church are, you are directly undermining God's plan for evangelism, and that is to display the one group in the cosmos that can get along with one another to a lost and dying world. Spend five minutes watching the news, spend five minutes on Facebook, and you'll realize that unity is a thing of glory and a thing of grace. We must be followers of Christ evangelistic unity and finally god will give us eternal unity eternal unity father i desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where i am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world verse 26 i made known to them your name and i will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and i in them. Jesus is promising and pointing us forward to an eternal, eternal unity in these verses. One that lasts forever. A time when these, these struggles and difficulties of this world are no more. He's pointing us to a unity that will last forever when our differences are dissolved. Oh, sister. Oh, sister who is struggling today. Jesus has prayed for you. Precious couple who's struggling, thinking, I don't know if our marriage is going to make it. Jesus has prayed for you. Brother pastor who's watching this sermon later in the week online, are you thinking about giving up? Jesus has prayed for you. Sinner who's put off and put off and put off putting faith in Jesus. Even now, Jesus is praying for you. I want to offer an invitation to you today. Simple as I know to make it. First of all, if you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, He opens His arms of grace wide to you. If you would trust Him, put your faith in Him, and turn from your sins and repentance, He will save you today. Second of all, you may be a believer. You may say, preacher, I've not been living out these things 
like I should. And I need Jesus' help today. Come to this prayer. He's prayed for you. Now you pray to him here at this altar. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for praying for us. And, Lord, we pray, God, that you would work your grace out in our hearts and our lives this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.